something different today. I hope that's okay. I know some people get nervous whenever we do anything different, but I want to take you behind the scenes in my study, and I want to leave the door open a little, and I want you today to help me to prepare a sermon. Preachers do a lot of different things. Some people have no idea what preachers do. Some preachers don't even know what they do. 
But a lot of people understand that preachers do prepare sermons. And, and while it's true that different preachers would approach this differently, they would have slightly different steps or the order or the way they would go about it, uh, they would exercise these things a little bit differently. I'll have to walk you through my steps because those are the ones I'm most acquainted with. Now, I won't bore you with all the details. We could talk about text selection and exegetical work and original word studies and, and the like, but I don't want to focus on that today. I really want to focus with you for a few minutes about the direction that the message is going to take. Every passage, every scripture in our Bible has one primary interpretation. That means that it has a meaning of when it was written and to whom it was written. And so when you come to the scripture, and right now we're in 1 Thessalonians, I'll ask you to go there. That's where we're going to be working today. When we come to 1 Thessalonians, we understand there's one primary interpretation. We know this was a letter that Paul and Silas and Timothy addressed to the believers there in Thessalonica. And so there was a meaning behind those words that existed at the time it was written and when they received it and they read it. So there are many uh, applications, but only one interpretation. So every scripture has one primary interpretation, but there are many applications. You say, what's an application? Well, that's how does that scripture apply to our life today? How does that scripture apply to my life? How does it apply to your life? And so a lot of times when we're studying the Bible, we've got to remember... It's very important to get to the interpretation, and then we move to the application, and don't get that reversed. Make sure you understand what the Scripture is saying when it was written, but then how does it apply to us today? Now, some passages, when you come to the Bible, and you're studying them, and you think about, well, which direction? How can I prepare a lesson? How can I prepare a sermon? How can I share this? Sometimes the passage is crystal clear. I mean, there's one primary diamond sitting there, and our job is just to shine the focus on that diamond, and the theme is very, very clear. But sometimes you come to a passage, and there are many directions you could take. While there's one primary interpretation, there are many applications. Plus, you've got to consider this. Now, remember, you're helping me write a sermon today. You've got to remember that a sermon has a tone to it. There's a tone to it. Some are very serious and somber. Some are more joyful. Uh, some go in different directions. So there's a tone to the message. Then you have to consider, well, how are you going to introduce the message? You have a very short amount of time to grasp people's attention before they begin nodding off and counting sheep and snoozing for the day. And then you have to think about, well, how are you going to illustrate the message? How are you going to bring home those points and kind of show them what that really means and how that applies. And then you've got to consider what do you want people to do with the message. Our goal is far more than just to hope you stay awake. I mean, that's just the bare minimum. We, we hope when we come to a sermon and to a passage and to the Scripture that there's something we take with us. There's something that we do with that passage. So the good news is we have our text selected. We're in First Thessalonians. And we're in a longer section today. We're in chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Now remember, you're going to help me today do this. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've got our desktop there. We're going to walk through, and I want you to help me to figure out the direction of this message. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 17. But remember, when this was originally written, it was a letter now, when you write a letter, well, let me just ask, first of all, 
How many of you have never written a letter? I think there might be some. Yeah. You'll find that out when you say, well, just uh, send them a letter. How do you address the envelope? How do you do this? Because we don't do this, but a lot of us have written a letter. Now, when you write a letter, do you put chapter 1, verse 1? Not unless you're writing a very long letter. Now, we just write a letter. Remember, this was a letter that was written out. It was not just a letter. It was the inspired Word of God. And we could get into all of that and talk about how God, through His Spirit, He inspired the Word of God and used human authors. He used their personalities, their vocabularies, their experiences. But He so orchestrated and so oversaw it that every word that was written down to the jot and tittle, which are parts of speech of those ancient languages, was inspired by God. So the reason I bring that up is because we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 17, but we're not going to stop at the end of the chapter because the thought doesn't stop. It actually, we're going to go from chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 10. And then we're going to walk through this together and you're going to help me to write this sermon. So let's read it together. We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Begin reading at verse 17. Now do me a favor. Do me a favor. As we read this today, I want you to try to feel... What's being said? Don't just approach it academically. Don't just approach it, you know, I'm a theologian. I'm going to, no, listen, this was a letter, and I want you to feel what's being written here. I want you to sense the heart of Paul, the primary author of this. I want you to feel it. So let's, let's look at it together. You ready? But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, now listen, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect that what is lacking in your faith. Now, I need help figuring out the direction we should take. Based upon those words, what theme could we preach today? Well, when you look at it, 
We could talk about, could we not, the idea of love. Love. Did you feel that passage as we read it? Could you feel the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul? He, he, he was taken away from them, but just in presence, not in heart. He wanted to return to them time and again, but he couldn't. In fact, it got to the point he was so burdened about them when he couldn't stand it anymore, he sent Timothy at his own cost, you know, and he was going to miss him in his life. He sent Timothy to check on them to see how they're doing, to establish them, to help them, and then bring back a report to him. Now, this is a significant thing for sure. I was struck by the person saying all this. Think for a moment. When you think about Scripture, think about all of Scripture. And think about the synthesis of Scripture. Think about who's writing these words. Now, we know primarily this is the Apostle Paul writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what do you know about Paul? Well, if you think about your Bible and you think about this gentleman named Paul, you may remember that he was not always the Apostle Paul. Prior to being the Apostle Paul, what was his name? Saul. And if you think about Paul's history, you know he was not always like this. When we meet Paul, he is known as Saul, and his heart is not beating in love. I hear voices. When we... You know, it's gotten bad. If I were to say things like, Hey, Siri! Alexa! Hey, Google! When you think about Paul, think about his early history known as Saul. He, his heart was not always beating in love for Christians. In fact, what was he into? He was into beating Christians. He was into persecuting believers. He was, he was into throwing them in jail. He was uh, into saying yes to putting them to death. This is the same man. And yet here we find him, his heart is beating, he misses these believers so much, he's so burdened for them. What's the difference? Jesus is the difference. Look at the difference that Jesus made in his life. I'm sure there are those, and we know from the Scripture, when Paul was saved and then the God began to work in his life, there were those who said, there's no way this is real. There's no way that he's really this way. But look at the difference that Jesus made in his life. And these same men and women that he once would have abused and maybe imprisoned or consented to their death, he now loves them. And he really loves them. And his heart is beating for them. And he's burdened for them. And they love him back. We notice there in verse 6, it says they want to see him too. You know, it's one thing for you to want to go see somebody, but it's something else for them to want to see you. You ever went to see somebody and you know they didn't want to see you? There's a big difference. But there's a mutual love. So we can talk about the love that is evident in our lives as believers and how God changes us and how God puts us together in His wonderful love. And that would be a wonderful direction to go because you know what? When you're preaching and the message is love, most people love that. Oh, it's all about love. That could be a theme. We could go a different direction though. You just read the Scripture with me. We could talk about spiritual warfare. You feel the difference? Love was like, love! Now I just said spiritual warfare. Remember I said messages have a tone about them. You say, well, preacher, where do you see spiritual warfare? Did you not notice in verse 18 
he said that, Paul said, I tried to come see you time and again, but what happened in verse 18? Satan hindered me. Satan hindered me. In the original, by the way, if you were to go look that up, what that means in the original, the word there, is the idea of an army, a military tearing up the road of their enemy. Tearing up the road so they could not use the road. Did you notice in chapter 3, verse 5, what it said? It said that he was afraid that the tempter had tempted them. Talking about the enemy again. Talking about the devil again. Satan. The tempter had tempted them and Paul was concerned that they may have left the faith. And if they had left the faith, then his labors there would have been in vain. And so Paul very clearly here brings up the whole idea of spiritual warfare. And we need to recognize that we live in the midst of spiritual warfare. And we do have an enemy. And some of the hindrances that come in our lives are a result of spiritual warfare and the enemy battling against us. To be honest with you, when things are going really well here and things are just chugging along, I'm just kind of waiting, wondering how long before the enemy rears his ugly head. We could talk about spiritual warfare. We could actually combine that theme with another theme, and that's the idea of suffering. Suffering. Not only had Paul suffered, chapter 3, verse 7, but we find here that the believers in Thessalonica had suffered as well. Look at verses uh, 3 and 4. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. That's weird, right? We're appointed to afflictions. That just seems strange, but that's what it says. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So we could take time and talk about suffering. We could gear the message and talk about the suffering that's a result of us following the Lord Jesus Christ and tie that with spiritual warfare. And we could also talk about living in a sin-cursed, fallen world. And we're not, we're not doing injustice to the Scripture. The Scripture's bringing all this out. But we have to make a decision here. We look at this. Where are we going with this message? I mean, have you kind of got a direction already in your mind? Are you going to talk about love? Are you leaning more towards the spiritual warfare? Are you thinking, no, I think suffering's kind of where we need to focus? And the real truth is we're not even done. There's plenty more here. We could take a totally different approach. We could talk about and tackle the theme of team ministry. Team ministry. This would be a good theme. Look at, verses, uh, look at verse 2 of chapter 3. This would preach right here. Chapter 3, verse 2. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. So we could take for a moment and say, you know what? We're going to focus on the idea of team ministry. Paul is writing on this pressure of the Holy Spirit. 
He introduces the letter by saying Paul and Savanus or Silas and Timothy to the believers there in Thessalonica. And here he brings up Timothy. And Paul's already said, listen, I couldn't come. I wanted to come. I wanted to come over and over again. Satan hindered me. I can't come to you, but I love you so much. I'm so concerned. I'm going to send Timothy, my partner in ministry. And really, boy, we could really jump off this. I want you to notice we could talk about Timothy. Notice it says he's a brother. We could talk for a while about him being a brother of Christ. Notice it says he's a minister of God. He's a servant of God. And then here's that team ministry part. He's a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. And we could talk about how we are fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ. This is too big for one of us. It's too big for just two of us. All of us are laborers together. And to establish and encourage you concerning your faith. We could go on and see in verse number 6 we just read. We could talk about how he brought back this good report of your faith and love. So not only is Paul and Timothy laboring together. Now the Thessalonians, they are laboring together. They're carrying out faith and love. They have a good remembrance of us. And we could talk about that idea of team ministry. Every person has a part to play. I do not believe for a second that we're just saved to sit and soak and sour. Some people take that approach to their Christian life. We're saved to serve. We're saved to participate in the gospel ministry. We're saved to tell others. And we could look at that. Or maybe we should go a different route. We could take up, this is a good one, we could take up a theme of discipleship. Discipleship. We could talk about the importance here of noticing how Paul not only led these people to faith in Christ, he not only saw them saved, but how he was burdened to see them grow. i got to remind us all that the Great Commission says to go and make disciples. In other words, when we share the Gospel and someone comes to faith in Christ, now if it's a one-time encounter, maybe we can't help that, But in a normal circumstance, when we share the gospel and someone gets saved, that's the starting point of their growth in Christ. And we're to disciple them. A disciple is a follower of Christ. And we see here that Paul is seeking to disciple these believers and build them up. When he sent Timothy, did you notice what he sent him to do? Look there at chapter 3, verse 2. He said what? He sent them to establish them in their faith. Chapter 3, verse 2. I sent Timothy to establish you in your faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. He prayed that he could be with them again to do what? To perfect what is lacking in their faith. And so we could talk about the fact that we are to help people grow. Why do we have Sunday school? Why do we have these times of Bible study? Because we're to be growing as disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could be talking about here, take this passage and talk about discipleship. We could go back and talk about how Paul discipled Timothy. We could go with that theme. It would be a great theme. You might want to write that one down. You might want to share that at some point with someone in a lesson. Mm, But we're not done. We could take a totally different theme. I think a lot of you would like this theme. We could talk about eternal rewards. Now, I've got to tell you, remember I told you that messages have different tones and different topics and themes? I can tell you from experience that some messages 
are much more popular than other messages. If I'm going to do a series on Revelation, it'll be more popular than a series on Lamentations. You won't hear as many people say, I can't wait to get to church. We're in the middle of Lamentations right now. But eternal rewards. Where do we see those? We're back in chapter 2. Look at verses 19 and 20. Chapter 2, 19 and 20. For what is our... And I want you to hear it. Now, he's writing this to these believers. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Just stop for a moment. Just pretend you didn't have the rest part of that sentence. What do you think he would say? What is our hope, joy, or crown of rejoicing? I don't think we would automatically think what he's about to say. Is it not even you? Wow. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you, you Thessalonian believers, you are our glory and joy. Let me read it to you in the NLT. Listen to it again. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when He returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. This could open up a whole discussion about the rapture. The rapture is the next thing that we're waiting for as believers. Nothing else has to happen. The rapture can happen at any moment where the Lord Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first then we which are alive and remain are caught up together with Him and we go to be with the, the Lord in heaven. And then after the rapture, we are examined as believers for rewards. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what I believe Paul's alluding to here when he says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you, you believers that I've led to Christ in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? In other words, Paul is thinking about this and saying, listen, I'm going to be rewarded by Jesus because of your faith. We could even talk about crowns that you can win. The Bible talks about different crowns rewards that we can win uh, here upon earth as we serve the Lord Jesus that we'll one day receive. And that would be a very interesting series to do. We could go with the idea of joy and add it to it. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy which you, we rejoice for your sake before our God? We, we could even call that message, are you ready for this? Joy at the judgment seat. That'll preach. Joy at the judgment seat. How can you have joy at the judgment seat? To win others to the Lord Jesus and help them to know Him and love Him and serve Him. We could pull it right from the Scripture. Not doing any injustice to the Scripture. Are you beginning to see now, beloved, why it's hard sometimes to get done by 12 noon? I'm not making any of these up. I'm pulling them right here from the Scripture. There's so much in this passage. There's so many directions to take. So much truth to share. And yet there's more. We could cover another thing. You say, well, the desk is already full. I know, we've got to make a decision. Have you decided yet? Which direction should we take? Is it love? Is it spiritual warfare? Is it suffering? Is it team ministry? Is it discipleship? Is it eternal rewards? Or is it this one? 
which I think is one of the most needed of all, the theme of encouragement. Encouragement. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. We talked about that in regards to discipleship and growing. But notice the next words. To establish you and what? Encourage you concerning your faith. Everyone sometimes needs encouragement. Some need more encouragement than others. Some need a lot of encouragement. Some can live on just a little for a little while, for a long while. But everyone needs encouragement. And notice it says encouragement, watch, can encourage you concerning your faith. We need encouragement when it comes to living the Christian life. We need encouragement in serving Christ. We need encouragement in preaching Christ. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Not only were they encouraged by Timothy's visit, did you notice that Paul was encouraged by the report that Timothy brought back? Look at chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, see, Paul's struggling here, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith, for now we live, we can go on living, because you stand fast in the Lord. We could build a whole sermon around the idea of encouragement. We could talk about how everyone needs it. Paul needed it. These believers need it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. We could talk about how to give encouragement to each other. We could go down that theme and talk about how we could do that. We, we could even talk about what to do if you're not receiving any encouragement from other people. You know, sometimes... You're really down and you're discouraged and nobody encourages you. In fact, not only do they not encourage you, they discourage you. It's one of those heavy weeks. What do you do then? Give up? Quit? Take your ball and go home? No, we could take a moment and go back to the Old Testament. Look at a man by the name of David who came back and faced an awful situation and his own men spoke of doing away with him. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Even when no one else will encourage us, no one else will lift us up, we can always find encouragement in God and encouragement in His Word. So many themes but so little time. So here's the question. I want you to answer. Which sermon theme? Which one are you picking? Love? That's a good one. Spiritual warfare? Suffering? Team ministry? Boy, hopefully that will get people fired up. It's nominating committee time. I probably should have preached that one. Discipleship. Are you saved and growing? Are you following Him? Eternal rewards. Who and what are you living for right now? Or maybe for you, you'd say, you know what? 
I think I would go with encouragement. You say, well, preacher, what do you do when you come to a passage like this? And you have all these different directions, all these different themes, and you could go in any one of them. Well, I can take a couple different approaches. I could divide them up. And I'll say, this week we're talking about love. The next week we're talking about spiritual warfare and suffering. The next week we're talking about team ministry and the next one with discipleship and the next one eternal rewards. And finally we're going to talk about encouragement. But really, we don't do that as often. Why? Because we have a little book called First Thessalonians. Before you know it, we're in it for two years. And so really can't take that approach every time. So what do I do? I do two things primarily. Number one, I think of you. What do I believe by looking and talking and ministering to and being with you and walking in the valleys and on the mountaintops and the hard days, the happy days and the rejoicing and the crying when I look at the tenor of what's going on at the church, I think about you. And I think, what do we need as a church? That's one thing I can do and I try to do. But the second thing is the most important thing I do after thinking about you, thinking about us. I pray. And I say, Lord, which direction do you want me to go? What is it that we need to hear? What is it that we need to focus on? All of these are great themes. They're all here in the Scripture. Every one of them will preach. But which one do we need to hear at this moment in our life as a church? Now here's what I want to do today. I ask you to pick a theme. And I kind of have a feeling that the theme that you selected was the theme that most resonated with your heart at this moment in your life. The one you were naturally drawn to, I don't know that was naturally, I think it might have been supernaturally. God the Holy Spirit drew you to that. I want you to think about that theme that you've already settled on among the ones we've given. And I want you to consider this in your own life. Remember, because you're, you're doing the sermon today. I want you to ask yourself, what is God the Holy Spirit trying to say to me about that theme today? Maybe you pick the idea of love. What is it that God is speaking to your heart about? Maybe you pick the theme of suffering. Maybe you're in a very difficult time. What is it from the scriptures we've read today and we've looked at is God trying to say to you today? Maybe for you it was eternal rewards and you just kind of naturally, it seems like, drifted to that. What is God seeking to teach you about that? Or maybe to you it was a theme of encouragement. What is God trying to teach you? How is he applying that to your heart? What does he want you to do? Now remember, we're talking about a sermon. So it's not only the tone of the sermon and the theme of the sermon, but also we come to the end as what? What do we do with the sermon? We just let it go one ear and out the other. What is God talking to you about, saying to you about what He wants you to do about that theme that He's impressed upon your heart? So here's what I want us to do for a moment. I want us to take the theme, the message that you've settled on today, and I want you to preach that to yourself. 
And here's how we'll do it. I'm not going to have you come up here and hold up a mirror and let you preach to yourself. I just want you right there in the pew to bow your head and just say, Lord, I really feel drawn to this idea from the passage today and ask Him to speak to your heart, to teach you, and ask Him, what do you want me to do in regards to what you're saying to me through this message today? That's what we're going to do. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Would you just simply pray? I'm talking to the Christians here. Would you just pray? God, this is the thing that really stood out to me today. What is it you want to say to my heart from the Scripture today? How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to do because of this theme that you've brought to my heart today? Give you a moment to do that right where you are, right in your pew. Spirit, do that work which only you can do right now through your word. Speak to the hearts of these men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, young adults. Impress upon them. Put your finger in whatever area it is in their life. Help them to know what you want them to do when they leave this place and help them to do it. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Continue to work for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you for helping me to put together today's sermon. You did a great job. And now I have a lot more people that can fill in when I'm gone. We're going to close with the hymn 423, I Need Thee Every Hour. So glad you were here today. Hope you were challenged. Hope you were helped. Be much in prayer about this week. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus, there's something else on your heart. Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. Others, we'd love to minister to you if we can. 423, the altar is open. If you do need to come, you come. I need thee every hour.